Good morning. Hope you guys are safe and well. And we got Hosh and uh, Logan with me. And we're going to wait a few more seconds for you guys to hop on and introduce some new members. And you guys submitted a lot of great questions, so I'm looking forward to responding to those. And uh, we'll get this session started. All right. Well, we got people hopping in. Uh, we want to welcome our new members like we do every week. So welcome, Luis Camarina. Uh, we have Jesse Castro in-house and uh, Khalid and Elizabeth Polk. Welcome uh, to all of you into the program. And like we talk about every week, go ahead, if you haven't already, introduce yourself in the group, uh, post who you are, where you live, what you're looking to accomplish, real estate experience, and uh, overall, just start getting connected. That's right. Welcome, guys. Glad to have you guys in the group. Uh, we got a ton of questions this week, more than usual. So I want to get going so we can get to all of them. I'm going to have Logan read them off to me and uh, hit me up, Logan. All right. So our first question for this week is going to be from Damon. And he asked, are recourse loans common for commercial lending? Uh, and then non-recourse loans seem preferable, but it doesn't seem as if you can pay off these types of loans whenever you want. Are my assumptions correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Uh, most uh, smaller commercial loans are going to be recourse loans. They're going to be your portfolio lenders, local lenders, balance sheet lenders, credit unions. And then as you get larger size loans, I would say, you know, 7 million and above, um, it'll be more securitized notes, uh, loans. That would be commercial mortgage-backed securities, um, life insurance companies, that lend out and they have yield maintenance prepay. Basically, they sell these notes uh, off to Wall Street as a fixed income. So if you have a 5% uh, 10-year loan, uh, that would be sold off to Wall Street as an instrument, as a fixed income uh, instrument. So if you want to undo it or pay it off, there's a very hefty yield maintenance prepay because you have to maintain that yield to the buyer that bought it, the investment group that bought it. So it's very complicated. I don't like to get uh, CMBS loans or anything with uh, hefty prepay. So that's why an, I often go with recourse loan. Um, but yeah, in a nutshell, nutshell, you wanna stay away from anything to do with yield maintenance prepay. All right, and while we're hopping to the next question, I want to give a shout out to everyone who is here live with us. Good morning, Vlad, Pascal, Savada, Duran, Henry, April. Good morning to you all. Good to see you in the comments. And uh, our next question is also going to be from Damon. He said, mm -hmm. I'm under contract for a retail property in downtown Houston with an F45 gym tenant. Mm -hmm. Their lease explicitly states that they can make as much noise as they want. <laughs> I heard from another tenant at a yoga studio tenant uh -huh. next to the F45 left because of the noise and residents nearby have also called the police before. Is this a deal breaker? I would, I would say so. <laughs> um, yeah, I've never had a gym as a tenant. I actually have one um, Anytime Fitness in Pennsylvania, but I haven't had any uh, complaints from my other tenants this one seems to be a problem so i would say uh you know uh read their lease uh, and find out 
if there are any clauses like quiet enjoyment, um, if it's excessive noise, um, you definitely could, uh, you know, give notice to tenant to, you know, quiet down. And I'm assuming it's their music. Um, if it's the music, if it's vibration and noise, um, there is remedies for that. You can uh, insulate the walls and ceilings um, on the, you know, partitioning walls. And I've done that for the gym I have in Pennsylvania. Um, but yeah, that, but if it's music and the doors are open, closed, and it's very loud, the neighbors are complaining, that's, you should notify the tenant. All right, uh, next question from Eric Porter. He said, hey, Manny, I've deployed most of my available cash to purchase a cash flowing single family rental. Mm -hmm. We're closing next week. Um, any advice for acquiring the next property with reserves on the low side? I have about 20K available. Ah, well, best thing uh, you can do is get a home line of credit on tapping to the remaining equity in that cash flowing residential. Uh, that's very doable. That's what I would do because 20,000 bucks is not quite enough to do really anything. You could tie up a property, it's a great deal, and then sell it to another investor or bring in an equity partner. So you could still write that deposit, but not enough. Uh, though to flip a property, but tapping to that equity is what I would recommend. All right, next question from Eden Lee. Good to see as well. He said, It's a residential triplex in Los Angeles value uh, based on how much income mm -hmm. the property produces, or is it based on comps and market value? I recently bought a triplex in LA with below market rents and an initial cap rate of 4.2%, but I now have new leases in place, which increased the cap rate to 5%. Yeah, so income properties are uh, very much uh, valued based on the income they produce. That's why it's called income property. However, um, if, it, if income is way over market and uh, price per foot is way over the sales comps, um, the appraiser will make adjustments. But your cap rate is going to dictate the value if they're trading between three to three and a half cap. That's what the appraiser is going to use. Um, again, uh, it's function of not being way overvalued on a price per foot basis versus other sales comps. All right. And then Ian followed up and said, I recently did a 60% uh, LTV cash out refi on mm -hmm. two residential properties, a single family mm -hmm. resident in Irvine and Triplex in LA that I bought with all cash. Mm -hmm. I did the cash out refi before the rate increases significantly and while Great residential job. property prices are high. The combined loan proceeds after closing costs will be around 3.3 .3 million. Mm -hmm. Which bank with the highest savings rate would you recommend to deposit <laughs> while I search for the next deal? Uh huh. Well, first of all, congrats. You're making all the right moves. Um, you know, there is a first foundation bank. I like Infinity Bank, it's about three years old. I bank with them, and they're more aggressive, uh, taking in new deposits. And uh, yeah, I would call Infinity Bank. They're right here in Irvine. And uh, as for Mr. Bala, he's a chairman. You're probably not going to get to him, but uh, you can ask for Michael in the new accounts and uh, they'll take care of you. Um, I, I did shop around because I had quite a bit of liquidity and I wanted to park. So they had the highest rate. Hopefully, they still are as aggressive. All right, next question from Duran. 
He asks, is it a good time to buy commercial properties? Uh, the cap rate listed for sale are very low or should we wait for market correction? What do you think of the concept of converting hotels and motels into residential or other mixed use as those properties went down in value the past several years? Okay, multiple question. Number one, uh, yep, depending on what asset class in commercial real estate you're referring to, there is definitely always an opportunity to, uh, to buy a distressed commercial property. I like office, I like big box retailers, even some uh, small neighborhood centers uh, that are mismanaged. You could find that uh, you could go ahead, get in there, improve the leasing um, and the property and flip it. Uh, I've been doing that for past three years while I'm waiting for some bigger trophy properties to come and become distressed. Um, and then second question was, what was the second question? Um, what do you think of the concept of converting uh -huh. Well, that concept sounds great on paper, uh, in theory, but there is a lot that goes into it. If you're taking a hotel, which is an operating business, converting it to residential, um, you, every city has different ordinance and you should check, uh, the property in the city is located and talk to the planning and uh, uh, code department. Also zoning, you have to change zoning, in my opinion, in most uh, you know cities, and that's gonna be a lengthy process. But it's a great way to repurpose real estate. I had that idea when pandemic hit and all the motel hotels were pretty much shut down, uh, but never really found a property in Metro City that a hotel in Metro City that I could buy at the good cost basis to even go through the exercise. But yeah, I would check with the city, pick one that's for sale, um, that's distressed and call that city planning department and ask him, say, hey, I wanna buy this hotel, this is the address and I wanna convert it. And what are the you know hoops I gotta jump through? All right, uh, next question from Pascal. He said, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I know it's a hot market. You said in the videos to contact brokers on loopnet.com. Mm -hmm. My question is, what should I say when I'm on the phone with them? Uh, I want to make sure I'm approaching them the right way. Well, first of all, know what you're looking for, your criteria. Um, I would build a you know investor profile of yourself so you can email them as an introduction and be a specific what you're looking for, how much capital you have that you're working with, and uh, when you give them a clear direction, what you're looking for, that's when brokers take you seriously. They don't wanna pick up a call from a new investor that says, hey, find me a good deal in office building with no other you know, details. Um, so I would say be a specific, you'll get their attention. And it's a numbers game, so don't give up on that first few calls. And uh, Pascal, if it's about a specific property inside of the master action plan map, under the resources section in the members area, uh, we have a section that tells you the questions to ask about a subject property. That's right. All right, next question from Chris Ford. Um, what is your current acquisition criteria and how has it changed over time? Uh, they included location, deal size, purchase price target, building class, single to multi-tenant, et cetera. Well, two things have definitely changed. I don't buy a single tenant building under no circumstance. And two, the deal size obviously has gone up quite a bit. Um, I used to look at deals 
under a million bucks, you know, million to a million bucks. Now my criteria is minimum five million dollars and up, and that's if it has at least two million dollars made on the bone, meaning I could net two million bucks after all the cost of rehab um, expenses, cost of running the building if it's empty. Um, so those are the two things I've changed. But in terms of uh, criteria on an asset class, I'm still buying same product, office, retail. I've been doing that forever. Multifamily, I haven't bought in 20 years. And industrial, I sold everything. I had a million square feet, sold everything in 2013 to 2014. Uh, yes, Chris, it's going to be the same criteria that's also listed under the resources section uh, in the members area. There's a section called investment criteria. Um, and then the next question from Chris, he mm -hmm. said, your initial active income came from the mortgage loan sales business, correct? And yep. if you were 25 years old starting out your career today, what would you choose to start earning enough active income today to, in, in parentheses, loan brokerage again, residential, commercial brokerage, starting a business, et cetera? Um, AKA, what exactly would you do if you were us today knowing what you know now and given the changing opportunities of today's competitive business environment? Great question. Well, I wouldn't get into loans because loans are extremely volatile, uh, rates going up. And when the refinance boom freezes, uh, everyone's going to be chasing purchase loans, uh, purchase money loans. It's chasing all the, you know, basically uh, buyers and selling agents that rep the buyers. Um, and there is not enough to go around. So I would stick to commercial real estate, find a local broker that's active um uh in your area and just ask them say do you have a program for you know new salesperson uh licensees and often they do and just get hired there get your feet wet uh, whether it's multifamily, big apartments or office or retail whatever their niche is i would say get started there find out who's a top broker and uh you know mimic their skills and learn and be a sponge absorb and within a couple of years hopefully you earn enough commission have enough uh liquidity to uh you know find that uh, diamond in the rough for yourself and start your portfolio all right uh next question from Hedzi. he said what's more specific criteria for deals uh that you look for where you would consider partnering with one of your members mm -hmm. again if is minimum two million dollar profit um, on a $5 million deal, minimum deal size. Um, and if it's something that is distressed and you're able to find that distressed deal and show me the $2 million profit minimum on a, on a deal size, and also you be able to put sweat equity in, manage it, add value, help me stabilize it, I'm your guy. I'll definitely consider partnering up with you guys. And then uh, the next question from Hedzi. In the past, Manny, you've mentioned that there are exceptions to the rule. Uh, and when it comes to density, if the anchor tenant can pull enough traffic, uh, then you can make an exception. So Hedzi asked for that exception, what are some of the other, what are some of the metrics we should look for in an anchor tenant to be able to move forward when the density is low? Great question. So the anchor tenant, in my opinion, you know, would have to be you know, more than 50% of the center. And they would have to have very healthy sales per foot, which would mean that 
it's a larger volume store. I'm referring, for example, a grocery store, like a Food Lion, right? Uh, Food Lions do typically 300 bucks a foot. If they're doing 400 bucks a foot, is very healthy. If they're doing 500 bucks a foot, they're phenomenal uh, location uh, on, on, in terms of performance. And if they occupy 80% of the center, you don't need density. They're drawing all the traffic to your center. And your other 20%, which would comprise of probably five small retail tenants, are going to do just fine with low density. All right. Uh, next question from Aaron Portillo. He said, hey, Manny, if you were just starting and had sixty to 70000 to invest, where would you start to invest in? I'm located in the LA area. Would you start in residential to build up your capital to transition to commercial? Absolutely. Um, it's hard to find any commercial deal in California, let alone LA, uh, that you could buy with 60 to 70 grand. But there are duplex, uh, duplexes, triplexes, uh, fourplex even, that you could probably find uh, that uh, you could improve uh, the rental amount, also the maybe expansion, uh, make the units bigger, maybe convert some of the garages to additional units. There's a lot of ways to add value and residential is hot. And you can do that fairly quickly. It's not a two-year construction process to rehab or expand. So I would focus on that and build that equity to a couple of hundred men. And then you could start looking at you know, a smaller commercial deals that you could uh, potentially buy as a value add. Awesome. And then would you say that's also a good potential equity partnership route as well? Yeah, I mean, if you find something that's got enough meat on the bone, the whole point, guys, is finding that deal. If you do your homework, you find a deal, you put a report together, here's the deal, here's how much it costs, and here are the comps, and there's, you know, you can 2x, 3x our money. I bet you you're going to find enough uh, people interested to buy it with you if you don't have enough capital. Awesome. And then his second question uh, what is the update on the market right now and what sector do you see with great Great question. Well, rates are going up. The 10 year treasury, it's pretty much at 3%. And two years ago, it was at half a percent. So it's gone up to two and a half percent. That's substantial. Uh, a lot of the mortgage on homes have gone up quite a bit. 30 year fix was in the threes, now it's in fives. Um, you guys probably watch the news. The, new mortgage application was you know significantly lower when the report came out that tells me six months from now you're gonna have a lot of price adjustments in residential and that's the one sector has been you know uh, resilient and everybody thinks it was going to go to the moon but no sorry bob when rates go up your cost of money goes up and it limits your affordability on homes so that's one sector is going to cool off and then multifamily again same as we're going to have a stagflation, it's a period when you have high inflation that accompanies with higher unemployment, and that usually causes the recession. So that will also affect the rental amounts for multifamily. So those two sectors that have been sizzling hot, I predict in the next 18, 24 months, you're going to see a correction there. And then, of course, the office market uh, with the hybrid of many companies you know, supporting the hybrid uh you know the employment you know um office setup that's gonna still be weak uh, for office so i expect more distress office building come to market 
So in general, I'm more bearish on real estate, which as a contrarian, I like, and I've been waiting for it. So. All right, uh, next question from Suraj. He said, in building your real estate portfolio, have you bought and held on a commercial property mm -hmm. for more than three to five years after stabilizing it uh, to where it's not an owner user property? just to get multiple years of cash flow out of your property before you sell it? Or do you have 100% of the time sold your properties within one to two years after full stabilization? Yeah, uh, so I would say 80% of the time I flip my properties within three years. I do have a couple of properties, um, actually one only left that I bought in 2007. It's a, it's a big retail center in Pennsylvania. I put tractor supply in there. I used to have a grocery anchor, but they moved out. And then I have um, a thrift store. I got a bank. I got a couple of liquor stores. It's a pretty much a local uh, community center. It's a it doesn't have the density, but it has great cash flow, and my cost basis is so low. And uh, that one, I'm I've kept it for what uh, fourteen years, fifteen years. Uh, but I'm getting ready to sell it. Um, I'm I'm really getting I'm getting ready to sell it because I just leased up a twenty thousand square feet uh, tenant. And now it's getting fully stabilized. Uh, so to answer your question, 80% of the time I do sell my properties within three years. Some that are uh, stable and have great cash flow, I do keep, you know, for, you know, five, 10 years, 12 years. All right. And then uh, he followed up and said, on the same note, my second question would be, mm -hmm. if you get a good credit tenant triple net lease on a medical building, let's say a 10-year lease, for one suite that occupies 80% of the building, would you say if I sell the building with eight to nine years of triple net lease remaining versus selling the building with four to six years triple net lease remaining, usually can I sell for much lower cap rate with nine years of triple net remaining versus a lower cap rate at four years triple net lease remaining? Uh, don't follow. Well, typically the larger, you know, the longer the Walt weighted average lease term left, on the property, um, the longer you have, the lower the cap rate because it's more, you know, consistent cash flow. Your uh, the investor is going to be promised, right? So if you got four-year triple net tenant uh, versus a nine-year triple net tenant, the nine-year is going to fetch higher premium, so that would mean lower cap rate. Awesome. All right. Next question from Amir. He said, I just started commercial real estate masterclass and I live in Maryland and want to get my realtor certificate, mm -hmm. but I don't know which state has a better opportunity. Uh, do I get a Maryland certificate for DC or Virginia or Texas? Um, <laughs> please let me know your recommendation. Oh, welcome to the program. 99% um, of the time, you have to be a resident of that state to become a salesperson licensee. I know Texas is that way. California is that way. So I'm assuming Maryland's going to be that way too. So I would say check with Department of Real Estate of Maryland. And it's a Google, quick Google search would give you your answer. All right. Uh, next question from Edward. He said, hi, Manny. I went to a lender to get pre-approved for commercial properties, but they wanted an OM offering memorandum. Uh, they said based on asset class, flex space, retail office, et cetera, there's more or less risk in each property would be case by case, different mm -hmm. situation. Uh, what is your recommendations if I don't have a property, but I want to know what I can get pre-approved for? 
Yeah, usually pre-approvals don't exist until you have the commercial property in hand. Um, unlike residential, uh, the property has, you know, in large part has to qualify for the loan and uh, basically provide the debt service to pay the debt, pay debt payments. Um, due to that, it's very difficult to get pre-approved. Having said that, uh, if you do have a business, you may be able to get an unsecured line of credit and just use that as uh, your source of uh, proof of funds uh, you know, to start with. Otherwise, if you want to go through the exercise, pick a deal size in an area that you think would you know, fit your criteria and use that OM. Go through a lender, see um, if you could you know, get a, a term sheet. Uh, on financing on that property if you want to go through the exercise all right uh next question from Zaran. hi man if i am looking to buy a two million dollar strip center or office building mm -hmm. let's say at 60 percent lease i would have to come up with 25 percent down most likely which is 500k uh, with a loan of 1.5 million uh, would i be cash flowing most likely on this property and how long do you normally keep a property like this? And what price would you be looking to exit that once it's 100% leased? Yeah, it depends. Um, if it's in Newport Beach, you're not going to cash flow even at 90% occupancy with that type of a loan, 75% uh, LTV, loan to value. But if it's in Texas, South Carolina, other markets, Michigan, that they do trade at high cap rates, um, Give you an example i uh, bought a shopping center in wisconsin at the nine cap at only 60 percent uh 65 percent occupancy so we leveraged it 75 percent and it's still cash flow so it all depends uh what cap rate is the property at 60 percent occupancy all right uh, our next question from jonathan nguyen he said one of the tips in the course is remeasuring buildings you acquire Mm -hmm. Once you measure and find it's larger than stated, do you notify the current tenants that they need to pay more immediately, or do you let them know? Do you let them slide until lease expiration and then enforce new measurements? Yeah, um, yeah, you do give them notice, uh, but you cannot force uh, an increase in rent if the property is, you know, it's, you know, they're they're contracted under the term. So at the renewal is when you would do that adjustment and use the newest square footage. All right. Um, next question from David and Christine Rangel. They asked, would you or have you done new construction of a commercial or apartment complex? Mm -hmm. And can you give any pros or cons or advice? We are actively going after vacant properties or teardowns that are zoned commercial or multifamily. And would like to build since there are off market, since these are off market, and we're getting them below market value as we're dealing with the owners directly. Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't done any ground up construction to give you any input. I have done major rehab, facelift, uh, facade work, and retail centers, but not ground up. So, all right. And then, Manny, I have a question on if you remeasure once the lease expiration comes and uh, the tenant is gonna pay basically more square footage. Do you give to get at all in that situation? Do they give black back or how do you approach that? No, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, 
the building gets remeasured, um, if the rents are you know fixed and they finish their five-year term, three-year term, it's all uh, open to negotiation unless they have options that are fixed. Um, then it really doesn't matter. You could increase, you know, adjust their square footage to what the remeasurement was, but the rent doesn't really change if they have options that are fixed. So it's a case by case. Awesome. Um, all right. So now we're going to hop into the comments and uh, we'll start with April. April said, good morning, all. I currently own my property management company in Temecula, California. I manage homeowners associations. I have my real estate license and working on obtaining my broker's license. Uh, question, do I need a broker's license to do property management for commercial properties or is my real estate license sufficient for now? Good question. If you work for the owner, you don't need license. So let's say you want to come work for Koshpin company as a property manager. You don't need to be licensed and you're in California. But if you do want to have your own management company now, you need to either hang your salesperson license with a broker or you got to get your broker license to open your own firm. All right. Um, next question from Eric Ray, which is a follow-up. He asks, is it difficult to get a HELOC on an investment property? Mm, yeah, commercial properties, they don't allow junior loans or second loans. Most uh, first trustee lenders don't allow uh, you know, a MES loan or a second loan on a commercial property, 99% um, they won't. But on residential, is different. But I'm guessing you're not referring to a fourplex. You're referring to a commercial property, uh, meaning office or retail, then that would be very difficult to get because most trustees have clause that uh, would trigger a do-on-sell clause if you're putting a second loan on there. All right. Um, and then Chris had a follow-up question. He said, why no industrial? Well, industrial, especially in my area, the vacancy rate is half a percent, not even 1%. So uh, it's super hot. Again, as a contrarian, I don't chase things that are super hot. And uh, industrial, I cannot find a single property, you know, in my area um, or most places. Uh, that are mismanaged or have a high vacancy. So that's the reason I don't even look at industrial properties. All right, guys, and that'll wrap us up for the day. I know we have a few remaining questions, so we'll make sure to get to those and answer them inside of the comments after mm -hmm. the call. And uh, thank you all for showing up. Thank you, guys. Be safe, be well, and see you guys next week. Thanks, Logan and Hosh. And be well, guys.